Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. If that introduction didn't get you uh, perked up and fired up or maybe even shivers up and down your spine, I don't know what more we can do. Uh, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, I'm Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Oline. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Right now we are in a series at uh, Good Shepherd and uh, we are working on in this program at home in your hymnal this is episode 41 we are looking at hymns that every lutheran should know today we're going to be taking a look at lsb 819 sing praise to god the highest good it is a uh, a wonderful hymn it is a, a hymn that has um uh, some history to it, and uh, with that, with that history, we want to we want to um, uh, open up some uh, some other topics as well. So we pray that God would richly bless us, Pastor Moline. What uh, what have, what do you think, and what have you heard uh, for feedback from this series that we began with regard to uh, hymns, hymnody in the church, and hymns that every Lutheran should know? Well, we've gotten some good response, and uh, and so that's why we'll keep on doing it here. And I think it's a good thing for us to look at these hymns and to learn them. Uh, we've had a lot of positive comments. People, uh, uh, please do request particular hymns, too. We'll give you our honest shake on it and uh, try and explain it to the very best of our abilities as well. Um, and if it's one that we shouldn't sing, we'll probably tell you that, too. At least Pastor Poppy will. I, you know. <laughs> yeah, bad cop, good cop. Um, sing Praise to God, the Highest Good, LSB 819. It is a majestic hymn of praise. People that uh, have grown up in the Lutheran Church probably know this hymn, or at least have heard the, heard the tune. It is not uncommon to have brass, trumpets, uh, other fanfare along with that. We've got a, a, a wonderful uh, rendition of this that we'll be listening to as we listen verse by verse. It, uh, it has a, a great history in uh, the, the older um, Lutheran hymnal, uh, the Lutheran hymnal, TLH 1941. It's hymn number 19, and it is titled, All Praise to God Who Reigns Above. It's uh, a hymn that I remember singing when I was young at the beginning of church. The, uh, it has six verses in uh, TLH. It uh, made its way into... LW, that is the uh, 1978 Missouri Senate hymnal, and it was hymn number 452, Sing Praise to God, the Highest Good. And at that time, it only had four verses. And now it is back in LSB. One verse has been added back in, so it's got five verses. And we're going to look at those five verses in the wording there. LSB 819, Sing Praise to God, the highest good. Pastor, um, you know, a lot of these great Lutheran hymns are in our hymnal, maybe not so much because the people in the pew love them, although that's the case for this one, but many times there's a connection historically to Bach, and you're our, uh, you're our Johann Sebastian <clears throat> Bach expert. Uh, is there any Bach connection with this hymn? Well, there is, and, and maybe that's part of the, the wider history. This, this hymn is written by uh, a man uh, whose name is Johann 
Jacob or Johann Jacob Schutz, uh, however you want to say it. And uh, he's actually a pietist who leaves the Lutheran Church for another uh, church body. And we can get into that in more detail here. And so he writes a couple hymns that all have this legalistic, pietistic background. And this hymn is one of those, and maybe it would have disappeared, except that uh, Johann Sebastian Bach is uh, hired by Christian, the Duke of Saxa Weisenfels, uh, to write a cantata for his birthday. And uh, so Johann Sebastian Bach, in fact, he writes three cantatas for this man's birthday, his 31st birthday uh, and his 43rd birthday, and then also, uh, I don't remember which birthday this particular hymn is written for, but uh, the cantata. So he writes these cantatas for his birthdays, and this is one of them uh, that is based off of this particular hymn. It's cantata number, um, let me make sure you get the number right, 117, Sie lob und er dem hochsten gut. Uh, and uh, it's written then um, for specifically this guy's birthday in 1731. Okay, well that gives us a little bit of that background, a little bit of that history. Um, I'm reading now from uh, the Lutheran Worship Hymnal Companion, and uh, this is what they say about uh, hymn 452 in LW, which is the hymn we're looking at, Sing Praise to God, the Highest Good, LSB 819. This buoyant hymn of praise and thanksgiving, with, it, with its beautiful brief refrain, was written by Johann J. Schultz and first appeared in... Uh, attract 1673 at Frankfurt am Main. Based on Deuteronomy 32, 3, and 4, the original hymn consisted of nine stanzas. And of those nine stanzas, the four that are included in LW are 1, 3, 4, and 8. I'm not exactly sure. We don't have the original, so I'm not exactly sure how that translates into what six or what five we have in uh, LSB. Although Schultz tended toward the mystic in pietism and espoused a separatistic attitude, these are not evident in this lively hymn. The author envisions a congregation about him whom he instructs and encourages to join him in praise to God. Small wonder that this hymn was soon included in many German hymnals. That's from the Hymnal Companion on Lutheran Worship. Comments on uh, on that uh, quote, Pastor? Well, I think uh, the the quote that you read kind of helps explain a little bit of what we what we get nervous about, right? So this guy, um, I mean, to get into his history maybe a little bit more, maybe that's what we ought to do so we can talk about it. This guy is trained to be a lawyer, and lawyers like the details of the law. And this guy gets more and more into the details of the law, not just in a legal sense in the political field, but also in the religious field, and so much so that he uh, begins to influence other Lutherans to be kind of legalists and to be pietists. That's the the phrase that we use, the, the broader term, including one of his friends uh, whose last name is Spainer. Uh, is it Philip John Spainer, John Philip Spainer, something like that? Um, yeah, I can I can look it up here. But anybody but who's familiar with Pietism he, knows immediately that name Spainer because he's he's famous for having written a book called Pia Desiderata, uh, which 
kind of influenced a whole generation, multiple generations of Lutherans. And the question behind his uh, book here that uh, Schutz influenced him to write is, uh, if you're a Christian, you have to ask like, act like a Christian. And if you don't act like a Christian, then you're not a Christian. And Scripture teaches this, but the problem is, is that when that becomes the emphasis of your teaching, then everybody starts to act like a Christian, even though they don't actually believe like a Christian. And it's the belief, the doctrine, the teaching that ought to inform our behavior, not our behavior that's done outwardly to let people know we're a Christian. Uh, that That's the key. And so there's this conflict between uh, what traditional Lutheranism is, which is actually traditional Christianity, and this new pietism that says your behavior is the key and important part of the Christian faith. Because the conflict is this, if it's your behavior that matters, then we've taken away from the person and office of Jesus Christ. And there's there's the problem that this guy started moving in. He also became involved with what's known as Kiliasm, which has its modern-day successor in dispensational premillennialism uh, and all the discussion about when's the thousand-year reign of Christ. As Lutherans, uh, we traditionally teach what the Church has always taught, that we are in the thousand-year reign of Christ in the sense that we are in the time of the Church, and it's actually been 2,000 years, even though it speaks about it in that nice, complete number 1,000. Uh, this guy would, would have uh, kind of rejected that idea and gone into Kiliasm, which is the idea that um, there is a thousand-year reign ahead, um, and it will either be before or after Christ's second return, uh, and it gets complicated. It's probably not worth going into. But So this guy drifts away from Lutheranism uh, after having written this hymn. In, and that will give us an opportunity to talk about, is it legitimate to have a hymn in our hymnal that was authored by someone that we know eventually uh, contaminated and then rejected what we believe teach and confess as Lutherans. We'll save that for a little bit. Pastor, do you want to read verse 1 of LSB 819? Sing praise to God, the highest good. Sing praise to God, the highest good, the author of creation, the God of love who understood our need for his salvation. With healing balm our souls he fills, and every faithless murmur stills. To God all praise and glory. Okay, that is verse 1, and we're going to look at... uh, Uh, the wording of verse one in more detail when we come back from our break. But uh, I want us to hear that verse. I want us to hear that tune because uh, in order to get that into our brain, uh, the music and the words together are uh, very, very important. So this is verse one, LSB 819. Sing praise to God, the highest good.
Pastor, that is indeed a majestic tune and uh, one that uh, is very, very easy to sing and easy to learn with regard to that uh, tune. With uh, just a few seconds left before our break, uh, just a few comments on that majestic praise nature of that tune. Well, it is uh, a good tune, and there's where we have to always be careful when we're looking at hymns. We don't sing hymns because they have a nice tune. Uh, that's a, uh, an added bonus, but the tune ought to be in service to what the theology and the words actually teach, and that's why we sometimes sing hymns that have really great theology but are not easy to sing. Um, the theology is the important part. It's a bonus if it's a good tune that we can sing, but the tune is not the important part. It's secondary or or even tertiary, I'd say, uh, in its importance. And so we have to keep that in mind as we deal with hymns. Okay, we need to take a short break. We're looking at LSB 819, Sing Praise to God the Highest Good. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. At Home in Your Hymnal is to help you be at home in your hymnal, in the divine service, in your family or private devotions. Uh, a few episodes ago, we started a new series talking about hymnody in general. We're going to look at all kinds of different hymnody, seasonal hymnody, uh, favorites, uh, good, bad, ugly. And right now we are looking at hymns that in our estimation every Lutheran should know. And we are parking the car at LSB 819. Sing praise to God, the highest good. And... uh, we are thankful that you have joined us today. When we, uh, right before we went into our first break, we looked at verse one of LSB 819, and uh, we had earlier read that it is based, this entire hymn, uh, which was originally nine stanzas. It's kind of hard to pick apart a few stanzas when you don't have the whole story, you don't have the whole hymn. We'll be as fair as we possibly can in that. But uh, it's based on Deuteronomy 32, 3-4. Pastor, you want to share those words? Yeah, not a problem. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Those are uh, great words out of a great chapter. Deuteronomy 32 is an awesome chapter in Scripture. Commend that to you for your uh, reading and studying pleasure. Um, And uh, praise God. Praise God because of what he has done. Praise God because of uh, creation. Praise God because he is just. He is just, and that justice of God sometimes uh, goes by the wayside, especially when justice seems to be in short supply in our world. 
See, and that's where we have to be very careful too with our our praise. It always has to follow after what God has done for us. It can't be uh, solely our action to God unless God has first given us a way to praise Him, taught us how to do so, given us His Word that we can use to praise Him. And I think that's important to point out because in our world today. Some people have that kind of backwards. They have this idea that praise is solely my activity, and that's what I go to church to do. And by my praise, I'm earning my salvation and showing God that I'm really serious about this Christian faith. And that that is one of those things that is in the pietism that still exists in our world today. God calls us to lead pious and holy lives. Christian piety is a great thing. When Christian piety becomes the lens through which we view everything else, that's when it becomes pietism. And uh, that's the... uh that's the engine that's driving the motor instead of justification, the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. In verse 1, Pastor, we have, Sing praise to God, the highest good, the author of creation. Um, what's good about that line? Well, um, it is giving us a reason to praise him, and that's the fact that God is the author of creation. In other words, this is uh, attempting to confess the first article of the creed, where God has given me my body, soul, eyes, ears, and all my members. He gives me clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all I need to support this body and life. And that's what God does in creation. All that we know and that we see in creation, God gives to us to take care of us and provide for us. And that's then a reason that we rightly ought to praise him. So we have a reference here to creation, and quite frankly, there are very few hymns in our hymnal that make a direct reference to creation and the fact that God is the one who created. And so this is is a good line, and it's an important line. The God of love who understood our need for his salvation. Uh, We didn't stay in the first article there very long, did we, Pastor? No, and and so we, we do kind of move here to the second article where we talk about um, how we need to be saved from our sin. I, I hope, you know, as we get a little bit later on, we'll see that a little bit more clearly because I think that that needs to be laid out a little bit. If we look at, like, for example, the Augsburg Confession, we have the teaching about God and, and things like that, but then we also have right after that teaching that we are sinful people in thought, word, and deed, uh, that we don't deserve God's gra- uh, grace or mercy, that we have gone against his word by our own wickedness, and uh, that that's then the reason that we need salvation. And I think it's God, then sin, then Jesus, and then justification, if I'm right, um, in the the Augsburg Confession. Well, you are right, and uh, at this point, and it's early in the hymn, but at this point, it seems to take a lot for granted, and it's using kind of generic terminology and generic language. Uh, With healing balm, our souls he fills, and every faithless murmur stills. Wonderful poetic language there. What is it saying? Well, I'd say saying that um, when we're injured and wounded spiritually, when we're doubting, that he takes care of it. And I think that, that'd be the way to, to maybe say what he's saying. Best um, construction, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's, not, uh, he's not giving us a lot of details on how uh, this is happening. Um, and I suppose, to be fair, using a uh, Pastor Moline uh, uh, colloquialism. Uh, to be fair, 
it could be a reference to the fact that God not only is the creator of creation, but he's also the creator of faith. Every faithless murmur stills. That could be a veiled reference to the fact, to the third article, that the Holy Spirit is the one who calls, gathers, enlightens us. Uh, again, it's a bit generic, takes a lot for granted. You have to read a lot into it at this point in time. Pastor, um, you want to read verse 2 of LSB 819, and uh, let's, see, let's see how this hymn progresses. What God's almighty power has made, in mercy he is keeping, by morning glow or evening shade, his eye is never sleeping. Within the kingdom of his might, all things are just and good and right, to God all praise and glory. Okay, so before we listen to that hymn, uh, to that second verse of that hymn, let's take a, let's take a little bit of a look at what's going on here. So we had creation beginning in verse 1. And now in verse 2, what God's almighty power has made, another reference to creation, in mercy he is keeping. What part of the first article, uh, especially as we teach it in catechism class, what part of the first article is that last little line talking about? Right. And so we've had this whole big long verse, and I think the the thing that drives home this idea from the article is uh, still takes care of them. Uh, God has created all the things in the world, and he didn't just create it and then let things go and run themselves out. He's always still working, or as we hear in Hebrews, he's still, by the power of his word, keeping things in existence and calling them into existence so that they keep on existing, and he still uh, provides for us and makes sure that we have salvation and peace and comfort and clothing and food and all that stuff. The doctrine of preservation. Um, I think sometimes in non-Lutheran traditions, uh, the doctrine of preservation is generally summed up in the word providence. Uh, we don't talk a lot about providence because that almost seems like good luck. Uh, we don't talk a lot about providence in the Lutheran church, but other tr Christian traditions, I think they mean the doctrine of preservation many times when they're talking about the providence of God. And then this expanded understanding of how God uh, not only has created us, but he keeps us, he takes care of us, seems to be expanded in this verse. By morning glow or evening shade, his eye is never sleeping. That is not only talking about uh, how God preserves us, but it's talking about one of the attributes of God as well, isn't it? Yeah, we could say that this is uh, that God is all-knowing or omniscient, um, and that has both positive connotations, which is what I think the hymn is trying to do here. It also has a little bit of negative connotations too, right? Uh, God knows all things. He knows your sin. He sees it. You can't hide it from him. And and so we could take that both ways here. Uh, it's important that we do take that both ways, and we don't just emphasize the one over the other because uh, God knowing our sin also is how God knows he needs to take care of it, and we also know that God hasn't forgotten any of it by his uh, life, death, and resurrection work in Jesus Christ. We have a, another uh, subtle shift in its teaching in the last part. It says, within the kingdom of his might, all things are just and good and right. 
and then the refrain, to God all praise and glory. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, you know, and we, we talk about the kingdom of power, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of glory, within the kingdom of his might, that's the kingdom of power, right? So in that kingdom, all things are good and just and right. What, what, what is being taught in that particular verse, Pastor? Yeah, um, that, that's a complicated one, right? I, I'd say what it's looking forward to is um, when we get to be in God's kingdom in heaven, there everything will be finally restored into order. We, don't, we are members and citizens of that kingdom here and now, and yet we don't fully see it because we still also live here in this sinful world where if you watch the news, things are not uh, just or good, or right. And so it is a promise that's coming before us. And and there is kind of that um, interesting idea of God's sovereignty in many churches today that, um, I don't know, we probably need more time to talk about that. Well, and that's another word that we don't use much in the Lutheran church, that sovereignty of God. I think I have it geared up for us here. Let's listen to verse 2 of him, 819, sing praise to God, the highest good. have it that was verse 2 of LSB 819 um the uh, the uh, album that we're listening to this from Heirs of the Reformation it's a CPH album called Treasures of the Singing Church the uh background music the organ the brass is uh, simply amazing and majestic majestic and you can uh, get that album for yourself go to the cph website cph.org we don't get any commission off that but we want to uh, throw uh, some shade out to uh, our friends at cph for that we need to take a short break when we come back we're going to look at verses three and four of um Hymn 819, sing praise to God, the highest good. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to At Home and Your Hymnal. Coming back from the break, we listen to verse 3 of Sing Praise to God, the Highest Good, LSB 819. And uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, this particular hymn so far. We have uh, some wonderful music. We have a great tune. We have an awesome refrain. And we have some pretty generic, uh, if not weak, uh, doctrine and theology in the hymn. We're, uh, we're going to see here if this hymn uh, can pull out of its nosedive or uh, if if this hymn does not fare quite so well on the, uh, uh, what, what do we call that Wolf Mueller thing that we've been talking about? The hymn cruncher. The hymn cruncher. So far this hymn's getting crunched. Um, verse 3, Pastor, do you want to read those words? We sought the Lord in our distress. O God, in mercy, hear us. Our Savior saw our helplessness and came with peace to cheer us. For this we thank and praise the Lord, who is by one and all adored. To God, all praise and glory. Okay, so uh, now, oh boy, we got a little bit of a sticky wicket in this verse, don't we? We do. I, I mean, I don't know where your sticky wicket is. I'd say look at the order of things. Yeah, we got we got things uh, we got things confused at best, and completely out of order at worst. We sought the Lord in our distress. So is this a Christian who is now in distress and calling out to God for help? Or is this an unbeliever who is asking Jesus to come into his heart? There's the confusion, and that's the sticky wicket for me. Pastor, your comments. Yeah, I mean, that really determines the importance of this particular verse really clearly if it's a non-christian that and that's what i'd say it sounds like in that sense that this is speaking of we called to god because we were in distress and now he's the savior saw us and came down and helped us in our helplessness um if that's the case then what it almost is and this would make sense coming out of pietism and even the small group uh things that they had brought up this would be us inviting jesus to be our savior sort of talk and that that could be really dangerous and actually is false doctrine if it's the other way which would be the best construction then maybe we we have forgotten to say that this person has already received God's gifts and his word, and that's leading then to his calling out to God. And so in either case, it's not particularly good, and in the one is much worse than the other. Yeah, the the second part there is what's confusing because it's out of order. Our Savior saw our helplessness and came with peace to cheer us. Now, again, putting the best construction on it, when a Christian cries out in need to God, God answers in Jesus with peace and comfort. Um, I would like to be a little more specific than just those generic words, peace and comfort. But uh, yes, that's, that's, that's the next part. Yeah. That, that's, uh, but that is true. But when we have that line, our Savior saw our helplessness and came with peace to cheer us right after the previous line, that's what makes it really hard to put the best construction on this because we call in our distress, he sees and helps, it certainly opens the door. <clears throat> best Again, best possible construction. It it's, opens the door to inviting Jesus into your It's heart. not specific enough to close that door. A- and then, like you pointed out, too, um, it talks about our Savior saw our distress and came with peace 
to cheer us. It doesn't say he took on human flesh. It doesn't say he went to the cross. It doesn't say he bled, he died, and was buried in a tomb and rose on the third day. It doesn't say that he took all of our sin. It doesn't say that he baptized us. It doesn't say that he feeds us. It kind of just leaves everything very, very generic. Yes, and uh, that's been a theme in this hymn all the way through, the generic nature of the hymn. We do not have an audio recording of verse 4 of Sing Praise to God, the Highest Good. So we're just going to look at the words here, and uh, then we will come back with verse 5, uh, you know, the the best verse of the hymn by far. Verse 4, uh, Pastor, you want to read verse 4? He never shall forsake his flock, his chosen generation. He is their refuge and their rock, their peace and their salvation. As with a mother's tender hand, he leads his own, his chosen band, to God all praise and glory. Okay, so uh, he never shall forsake his flock. This is, uh, this is teaching uh, clearly, and this is clearly taught in the book of Deuteronomy, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This is a, this is a biblical theme. It is. I'd say, look at the way you said it, though, versus the way it said in the hymn, too. There's <laughs> a trying, difference I'm there. I'm trying to be as kind. I really like this tune, and <laughs> this program is just crushing me. The, way, uh, the hymn meter is going to crush us even more. Yeah. But, I mean, so to, to be clear, look at the way it says it. He never shall forsake his flock. It's third person. It's almost like Bob Dole saying Bob Dole's going to be a good president. Yeah. It talks about it in the third person. Instead of it could say... He never shall forsake you, his flock, uh, which would be that specific uh, bringing it to us and talking about our salvation. And so it it doesn't necessarily put us in the flock that is being saved. It does say the next line, his chosen generation, but it doesn't say who that chosen generation is, and it certainly doesn't say that that's me. Right. Um, He is their refuge and their rock, their peace and their salvation. Again, wonderful Biblical words and truths that, in the context of this hymn, excuse me, are very generically stated. And then the last line there, as with a mother's tender hand, he leads his own, his chosen band. That's the second time we've had that word chosen in here. Um, Which is a big thing in pietism. It is. That's where this language is coming out of, and that's why we have to be careful, and that's why we talked about that history. Okay, so um, is it is it wrong to use female imagery with regard to God as with a uh, mother's tender hand? Doesn't, doesn't the Scripture do that as well? I was going to say, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Jesus himself says, how often would I have taken you under my wing as a, a hen gathers her chicks? I mean, so Jesus uses that same imagery, and it's not saying that Jesus is a woman. Uh, and so, you know, to be, to use my own colloquialism, to be fair, it's not uh, uh, feminizing Jesus in any way. And yet we still have those unclarity about who he's talking about. Are you among the elect or not? That's the question that this is arising. If you are, this is what Jesus does. If you're not, then this is what you don't have. And it doesn't actually ever tell you where you fall on that scale. Okay. Um, we've uh, we got enough time here. Let's read verse 5 
And uh, then in our last segment, we want to we want to try to talk a little bit more about you know we'll do the hymn cruncher. We'll talk a little bit more about Pietism and Killiism and uh, the sad ending uh, spiritually to uh, our author's uh, uh, faith life. Uh, you want to read verse five, and then we'll uh, we'll play that at the end of this program. It is it is a majestic verse. All who confess Christ's holy name give God the praise and glory. Let all who know his power proclaim aloud the wondrous story. Cast every idol from its throne, for God is God and he alone. To God all praise and glory. Okay, so let's let's try real hard, Pastor, because you know I like this verse. Let's try real hard to put the best construction on this. And uh, all who confess Christ's holy name. So we're, we're talking about Christians here. Uh, and this is an, an exhortation to Christians, not only to walk the walk, but talk to talk. Give God the praise and glory. Let all who know their pow- his power proclaim, again, believers, we get into this whole are you a true believer or not a true believer thing here. but And here um, we're clear. I mean, now we know we're talking about those who are true believers. We It doesn't say that that's us, but we're talking about the church and the Christians now. Yeah, yes. we're, ta- we're talking about capital C Christian church here. Proclaim aloud the wondrous story. That's true. Unfortunately, nowhere in the hymn have we heard what that wondrous story is. That's the problem. There's, there's an issue with that, yes. Okay, and then my favorite line from this hymn, Cast every idol from its throne, for God is God and he alone, to God all praise and glory. Uh, that's, that's a great first commandment exhortation, is it not? It is in the sense that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Uh, no, um, I know where you're going to go. Yeah, go ahead. I don't have the power to do it. That was what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, is that our action or not? No, God um, God it, loves me when he breaks my idols. Right. And for me to acknowledge something as an idol and to rejoice when God breaks my idol, that's a good thing. And, but and it doesn't happen faith, very often. In the Christian faith, when, uh, when we do have the Holy Spirit that's created and sustains faith within us, uh, our Christian new resurrected nature does want to remove false idols but at the same time we also have that old sinful nature that is warring with that that wants to put new idols up there all the time Uh, and so it's complicated it's more complicated than it's made here in this verse and and we don't have the clarity to know where when we sing this we actually are falling on that scale yeah we we do not have all nine verses of the original hymn. Maybe it tells a little bit better story. I'm thinking if those were great verses, those would be the ones that made the hymnal uh, rather than the ones that did. In uh, TLH, there is an additional verse. This is verse six in TLH. Then come before his presence now and banish fear and sadness. To your Redeemer, pay your vow and sing with joy and gladness. Though great distress my soul befell, the Lord my God did all things well. To God all praise and glory. Is there anything in that verse that salvages this hymn, Pastor? I mean, I I think 
it's important for us to understand the context that this guy's life falls into, right? So this is shortly after the Thirty Years' War. In fact, I think uh, if I'm looking at his lifetime correctly, he's born shortly before the end of the Thirty Years' War. There's been a lot of death and a lot of question about what the real church is. And so um, in that sense, you can kind of see where he's coming from and understand him, but I still don't think it's necessarily the greatest verse or hymn. Yeah, well, we're going to put it to the Wolf Mueller hymn cruncher when we come back from our uh, break. And uh, this is what happens, folks, sometimes when you uh, have a hymn that you like and uh, you want to examine it, you want to study it, and sometimes uh, things are maybe not quite as they appear. This is episode 41 of At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at LSB 819, Sing Praise to God, the Highest Good. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at Hymn 819, Sing Praise to God, the Highest Good. We're going to hear verse 5 of LSB 819. Well, the music is majestic, the organ playing, and the brass is amazing. Uh, Pastor, um, holy moly! I uh, I don't know what I don't know what else to say. We uh, we have um, built this uh, segment as hymns every Lutheran should know, and uh, you know I have sung this since I was a little kid. Uh, uh, trusted pastors that I know have uh, encouraged and uh, sung this hymn. And after a deeper examination, um, uh, I have to I have to rethink this. And uh, I think maybe putting this hymn through the Wolf Mueller Hymn Cruncher right now might be a good thing. And then we can talk about how the effects of pietism and dispensationalism, how this can can really mess up a, a good person, a good Christian. And, and maybe we should say this too. I mean, could you use this hymn in church? Yes. I mean, you could. And if you had a really good sermon that talked about justification by grace through faith, and if you followed the liturgy that emphasized that God saves us, God saves us, we could maybe do this as a 
a close of the service hymn that, you know, is talking about now that we've been saved, now we as Christians, our life is a life of praise to God and giving him glory. I mean, so we could we could find a way to make it work just fine. The the issue is is can it be taken other ways? Can it be misused? Can it be misapplied? And there's where we have to be careful with it. This hymn is certainly not a standalone hymn for uh Christian faith and life, uh, supplemental uh, at the end of the service during the distribution of the Lord's Supper. Um, yeah. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, Wolf Mueller hymn cruncher. And, uh, Pastor, we've been using this uh, tool. You want to you wanna talk just a little bit about uh, what this is and where you, uh, where you discovered it? Yeah. Uh, Brian Wolf Mueller, uh, who's now, I think, a pastor in Texas that's very smart, much smarter than me, and uh, very winsome, much more so than me as well, uh, put this together for uh, a show he does. He, he uses this to look at praise songs and things like that. And so uh, we're going to look at this uh, praise song cruncher as opposed to this as it regards to this hymn yeah you can uh, you can hear his program regularly on knalp 95.7 right here in lincoln nebraska it is called table talk radio and i'm not sure what time it's on but uh, pastor wolf Mueller is a good man and a faithful pastor part number one of the uh, hymn cruncher is jesus mentioned well is he mentioned? We, he's not mentioned by name, and so oh. uh, he's, he is then mentioned in concept in verse 3, our Savior saw our helplessness, but it doesn't tell us specifically that's Jesus, so it is, it is mentioned in concept very generically. So we have, we have allusions to Jesus, but we have no clear reference to Jesus. We have no mention of him as the second person of the Trinity. Uh, we have no distinction with regard to the two natures of Christ. We have no uh, explicit uh, talk about his perfect life, his obedient death, or his glorious resurrection and ascension. We got none of that. Number two kind of blends into that clarity. Is the song clear? Does it use sentences with subject, verb, object, or sentence fragments? Uh, it doesn't really use sentence fragments, no. but uh, it has a different kind of non-clarity. And we've talked about that all the way through. Pastor, what would you say with regard to the uh, clarity that is going on here? I'd say it's unclear in being, it's not specific. That's maybe the way to say it. It's not specific, it's generic, it's general. Uh, Christian themes, but not getting into the details. And there's there's the issue. The devil is always in the details, in the specifics, and in those minor things. And so when we don't get into that, then we leave it open to error. One of the reasons why sometimes hymns or songs are not clear is because of part three <clears throat> that he has titled mysticism, subjectivity versus objectivity. Is the song about things that God has done, objective, or about my own emotions and experiences, subjective? Does the song repeat the same phrases over and over in a hypnotic mantra? Well, that refrain kind of does. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I like it. Um, it does have some very objective things about what God has done. Creation, for example, preservation, it's not as clear and detailed as we would like, but it does have a lot of this uh, 
emotion and experience kind of talk as well, doesn't it, Pastor? It, it does, and and I think the main thrust of the hymn is what we're doing for God, giving him praise and glory, and and so it does put that burden upon our own shoulders in that way. To be fair, you are correct. Uh, number four, with the uh, Wolf Mueller hymn cruncher, Law and Gospel, does the song proclaim the law in its sternness and the gospel in its sweetness? Are law and gospel rightly divided? Is the law presented as something that we can do, or does it show us our sins? Is the gospel conditional, based on my actions, decisions, and acceptance? Um, I know what I would say to this part four, Pastor. What would you say? Well, I would say um, it doesn't really get into any law at all. It never talks about the fact that we have disregarded God's word, or that we've sinned, or anything like that, and so only that we need salvation, and so right. that's a and very that in weak, distress, and that that is a very weak implied law, right? And so it doesn't actually deal with me as a sinner, but rather the condition of the world is is kind of not so good sometimes. That's the sharpest law that it has. And if we don't have the law, then we also really struggle with the gospel as well. In fact, I'd say there's a little bit of confusion. We, we talked about that in a couple of the verses where perhaps it can be taken the wrong way. So we sought the Lord in our distress. O God, in mercy, hear us. Our Savior saw our helplessness and came with peace to cheer us. When we get that order backwards, then we are confusing law and gospel as well. And finally, number five, is there any explicit false teaching? And I think... I mean, what you just, what you just mentioned... Um, it's you, not explicit. It's not explicit, uh, but the hymn is, is so vague in so many ways that you can, you know, kind of like the uh, altered Augsburg Confession, you can take the words and you can have them say one thing and I can have them say another thing, so we're both happy, but we haven't made the good confession. You think that's fair? I think that's fair. Okay, well, uh, in the Poppy Moline at home in your hymnal, um, <clears throat> voting... You know, I think the last two hymns we gave ten stars out of ten stars. Uh, the last, the last uh, time we came together, we looked at the hymn five fifty five, "Salvation unto us has come." The previous uh, episode, we looked at hymn seven o eight, "Lord, thee I love with all thy heart." Uh, how would you, very subjectively, of course, uh, on a scale of uh, one to ten stars, what would you give? LSB 819. Well, I know the ones that I would put at a one, and so I don't want to put it all the way down there. I'd probably give it a four, um, average at best. Yeah. I, I was thinking three and a half or four, and uh, that it, I got to tell you, it breaks my heart to, uh, to do that. But uh, if we're, if we're going to do this and we're going to be honest, then we really, really need to be honest with every hymn, even if it is one that is your personal favorite or one that you've grown to love over the years, we need to we need to be honest and fair with all of the music. Um, I don't think, Pastor, I can put this hymn in the category hymns every Lutheran should learn. Would you? No, I mean, I wouldn't put it at the foundational level that you should study it and memorize it and make it a part of your life. Definitely not. Um, I'm not 
going to also go out on the other limb and say you should never, ever sing it, right? We, we talked about there could probably be places where we could put it. It wouldn't be one that I, as a pastor, in picking hymns for worship, picked very often, just to be upfront and honest about yes, it. Yes, and uh, as the guy in this place who does pick the hymns, uh, we probably won't sing this one quite as often now after we've uh, taken this uh, objective look. And I hope and pray, if nothing else, that this proves that this is not just about what somebody's favorite is or, hey, Bach used this hymn, so we better sing it in church, to be objective and fair with music and we would be remiss if we didn't say that uh, the culprit here is pietism. This obsession with me being able to keep the rules, me being able to keep the laws, me doing something for God, rather than my good works being a joyful response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What gets lost in pietism is Jesus. What gets lost in pietism is justification. What gets lost in pietism is the specific details of the perfect life, bloody death, and glorious resurrection of Jesus. And this hymn seems to be a pretty perfect example of that. And it's not even that they would deny those things, right? They wouldn't. But because they don't say them, it's easy to just forget about them and through apathy not worry about them. And and pietism is still a big problem today. And it did come out of the Lutheran Church, and it's probably one of the worst things that Lutherans have introduced into the world. And so we need to be aware of it. We need to learn about it. And we need to be able to say when we see pietism coming through that it's probably not uh, a good thing or uh, positive for our church. In, in general. This has been uh, episode 41 of At Home in Your Hymnal. We're in a stretch now where we're looking at hymns uh, that we're titling Hymns Every Lutheran Should Know uh, by popular demand and by specific request. In our next episode, we're going to be looking at LSB 790. LSB 790, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. If you want to take a look at that and listen to that before our next program, we encourage you to do so. For Pastor Moline, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thank you for tuning in. And we are going to leave with uh, a few more words from our hymn, 819, Sing Praise to God, the Highest Good. God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again next time. <laughs>